we want to make sure that we, we maintain that positive relationship with our community. And for those segments of our community that feel that they're isolated and don't have that sense of trust, that's the, those are the parts of the county that we need to focus on as well to make sure that, that, that we are transparent and that we are upholding our mission, uh, providing um, quality service to all members of our diverse community. That was Colonel Sean Reeves. This episode is part of a live fireside chat type community event associated with the promotion of Colonel Sean Reeves to Chief of Police. Our host is my boss and the Director of Communications and Public Engagement, Emily Kilroy, who spoke with Colonel Reeves about his professional experience and his vision for the future of the department. Colonel Reeves is the first patrol officer to rise through the ranks to become chief. The conversation ranged from traffic safety to cybercrime to community engagement. Toward the end of the live event, we took questions from the audience. Welcome to Let's Talk Albemarle. I'm your host, Serena Gruya. I'm the public engagement coordinator with Albemarle County in beautiful central Virginia. Every day, I learn more about local government and our community. I've spoken with so many people who really want to get involved in local governance, but don't know where to start. Well, it's my hope that this podcast is a starting point to supporting community participation. And for those of you who are already super engaged, a chance to dig into important topics. So today, let's talk, Albemarle, about the new police chief and his vision for the future of public safety in Albemarle County. I'm Emily Kilroy. I'm the Director of Communications and Public Engagement for Albemarle County Government, and I have the distinct honor and pleasure of introducing to the community Colonel Sean Reeves, who's with us here tonight, and he's our new Chief of Police. Colonel Reeves, before we dive into our questions, this is a room that before last week I had never actually been into. So tell us, where are we tonight, um, and what is this room used for? Well, thank you, Emily, for the warm introduction. You are live with us in the Almar County Police Department headquarters off of 5th Street, and this room is actually our roll call room. This is where our officers uh, pre-pandemic will come every single uh, shift, daylight shift, evening shift, and midnight shift to come in and get their sector assignments, go over any critical information and any um, important information that's needed uh, for the evening before the officers uh, begin their tour of duty. So you're only the sixth chief of police for Albemarle County, which I found really interesting, you know, given that we're, uh, we're almost 300 years old as a, as a county. Can you start by sharing a little bit about the department's history? Yes, absolutely. The Albemarle County Police Department was formed in 1983 under Sheriff Chief Bailey. And before that, the primary law enforcement function was part of the Albemarle County Sheriff's Department. So after 1983, the responsibility split. So the Sheriff's Department now is responsible for courtroom security, as well as civil paper services and uh, prisoner transport, as well as assisting us with mental health transportation. Whereas the police department is uh, led by a chief of police and is responsible for the daily services provided citizens when they pick up a phone to call 911. One of the things that really stands out about your appointment as chief is that you're actually the first police chief for Albemarle County that rose through the ranks. So you started your law enforcement career here in Albemarle um, and you've had a lot of hats along the way um, you know, before rising to chief. The county executive has shared that um, one of the things that stood out for him is that as a leader now, you, you have been in the shoes of, every, of almost every position in the police department and almost every staff person that you now have the responsibility of leading. How does that feel? I'm humbled and I'm honored to be uh, the first patrol officer to rise to the ranks to become chief of police. I certainly didn't get here alone. We have a very talented police department, and I've been uh, fortunate enough to work with some very talented men and women uh, alongside them that have uh, supported me. We've leaned on each other throughout the years uh, to help me achieve this. And um, uh, being the uh, chief of police comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility, and it is a position that I don't take lightly. And um, Having served uh, throughout the different um, the different shifts, the different patrol shifts, I, I began my career back in 2001 on midnight shift as a, a patrol officer, and then I've had experience working as a supervisor on evening shift, a patrol officer on daylight shift, a detective um, that worked uh, property crimes as well as robbery cases. Um, spent some time in internal affairs, about three years, uh, working with uh, Colonel Steve Sellers, uh, one of my mentors under internal affairs, which uh, provided me with a very different um, lens on how I uh, looked at law enforcement. I also have a SWAT background and uh, 
that spent time as a criminal investigation division commander, division commander, as well as our community support division. So yes, I have gone around the police department and um, what, what I found uh, with my approach is uh, it gave me an opportunity to reinvent myself and learn different aspects of law enforcement. We're fortunate here in Almar County to have a mid-sized agency that has so many opportunities for officers to do. If you like traffic, you can become a traffic officer. If you're into investigative work, you can become a detective. If you're into canines, we have a canine program. So there's a lot of opportunities within the police department uh, for officers coming in. What does it mean to an officer, a frontline patrol officer working on midnights right now to know that someone is leading the department that's, that's, that's been exactly where they are? Well, I would hope it would, it would mean to the officer that there is an opportunity that I could um, set, uh, set a standard within the police department that if you um, work hard and um, you invest and you stay dedicated um, to the police department and better yourself, continue to learn, continue to involve in this profession, that you too can become a police, uh, the chief of police here in the Almar County Police Department and that the Almar County as a government doesn't necessarily have to continue to look for outside uh, where we can grow our internal candidates uh, to become uh, fill these leadership roles within our organization. So before you joined law, so you started your law enforcement career here in Albemarle, but before you joined law enforcement, you served in the U.S. Army. Can you tell us a little bit about your service there? Yes. So shortly after graduating high school, um, I was actually born and raised in Houston, Texas, and joined the Army coming uh, out of high school. And I served five years active duty, and I was stationed in Northern Virginia for five years, um, at, at Fort Myer, where I was a military police officer. And then um, I got out prior to the tragic events of 9-11. And then when I was at the uh, police academy, the, the event, the terrorist attacks of 9-11 occurred. And uh, shortly thereafter, while I was working with the Elmore County Police Department, I was recalled back to active duty status. And um, during that time, um, I was stationed down at Central Command where I had the uh, opportunity to travel overseas um, throughout um, Africa, Europe, and the Middle East in support of Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom. And after my uh, honorable discharge in 2003, Almar County Police Department held my job open and uh, held it for me. So I came back and um, Almar County has been loyal to me all these years. And I felt found it fitting that I was give that loyalty back to them and um, work hard and ultimately end up here as chief of police. Awesome. So let's talk about your formal education. You joined the military after high school, but you actually went back and got uh, two degrees later in life. What made you go back to school? I did. So uh, when Colonel Steve Sellers uh, came to the police department uh, back in 2011 um, timeframe, um, he, he made some fundamental changes to the way uh, we, we conducted police operations. He brought with him geo-based policing. Um, he did some restructuring and I had the opportunity to work closely with him when I was in internal affairs for three years. And during that time, he had a conversation with me, and this was uh, roughly 10, over about 10 years ago now, that I had the potential to be a chief of police here one day. He saw something in me that I didn't necessarily see, but um, he also put it in context that in order to achieve chief of police, you need to have a degree because a degree makes a good leader better. So um, with that, um, I, I enrolled into college and I was a full-time student for five years. And not only did I obtain my bachelor's degree, I obtained my master's degree. And um, I owe a lot of where I am today for that little push he gave me 10 years ago. That's, that's really great. Um, it must've been so hard to balance school with, uh, you know, all of your duties as a police officer. It, it, it was, it was a challenge, but I also used as lesson learned um, to other officers, officers too, that are struggling. And um, I encourage them because it brings out those critical thinking skills and it does make uh, good leaders better, I think. And um, it, it put me in a position to, to open up additional opportunities for me um, as I progressed up my career. Like for example, being able to attend the FBI National Academy, I already walked in with a degree and uh, the National Criminal Justice Command College I attended, I already walked into that school with a degree. So those, those were helpful um, when it came to, to going to schools of higher learning and having those degrees already in my back pocket. That's great. All right, so before we shift to the department, and I know you have so many plans for what you wanna do in your first 100 days, and you know, again, over the course of your tenure as chief here, but let's have a little lightning round um, of, mm -hmm. to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, what's your favorite holiday movie? Favorite holiday movie, uh, Die Hard. 
think that's everyone's favorite holiday movie. <laughs> and hopefully that's and hopefully that's the most controversial answer I'll give this evening. But yes, Die Hard to me is a Christmas movie. So, so what's your favorite kind of music? My favorite kind of music is 80s music. Okay. You don't have the hair to match that. <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite kind of food? Favorite kind of food is pizza. Mm. What about your favorite ice cream? Favorite ice cream is peanut butter and chocolate. And what is your favorite place in Albemarle County? My favorite place in Albemarle County is uh, Saunders Trail, the Monchell Mountain Trail. I'm there. I was just there today. So, so I, so I know this. Um, what <laughs> you don't walk alone when you walk on that Saunders Trail. You're usually wearing. Uh, Sometimes I wear a, 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 a weighted vest to help me with my cardio. So it's not yes. just a it's not just a walk up the mountain. No. It's a you're working. Yes. What are your priorities for the department as you start your new role? Um, my, I, I have several priorities uh, towards the top of the list. Uh, um, first and foremost, it's modernizing our police department. And uh, by modernizing our police department, um, I simply mean, you know, catch up with time. Are we do an assessment? Are we um, best utilizing our technology? Um, where are we at with our staffing? Um, are we up to date with our training? Are we using the latest practices and best practices that are out there? So uh, modernizing our police department and making sure that we're not policing like we were 10, 15, 20 years ago, that we keep evolving with the times. Also um, at there is officer and community engagement uh, held a, you know, the first of many town halls with our employees and our staff uh, earlier on this week as a meet and greet before um, I came out to the community because I felt it was important that officers here what our vision and direction is from from the from the chief before we set out, and also uh, engaging with the community and keeping our you know we're we're, we're fortunate in Almar County we have a very supportive community and a community that that um, that that cares deeply for our police department. And I know this from all of the meals and cards that we get sent to us on a daily weekly basis, and um, we want to make sure that we we maintain that positive relationship our community and for those segments of our community that feel that they're isolated and don't have that sense of trust that's the those are the parts of the county that we need to focus on as well to make sure that that, that we are transparent and that we are upholding our mission of providing um, quality service to all members of our diverse community um, also uh, a couple of items that we're working on uh, one of our captain police captains uh, captain kevin miller has been working diligently over the past year and a half to incorporate the body-worn camera system into the police department. When I first got promoted deputy chief of police a year and a half ago, um, I sat down with several commanders and we needed to get that program up and running. And Kevin was um, took the lead on that. And um, I'm proud to say that as of this past week, we have begun implementing the body-worn cameras to our patrol officers. And that's just on top of the in-car cameras we currently have in our vehicles um, as another layer of transparency and um, uh, providing actual witness for community members and officers. Because this is not just driven by the community wanting us to have body cameras. It's also our officers want to be able to wear body cameras too out here. Um, another initiative that I've been working on with several of our commanders over the past year is uh, a comprehensive overhaul of our policy manual. We've partnered with Lexipol, who's been working with us uh, for the past year on updating our policy manual that, uh, to ensure that we're up to date on state and federal, as well as accreditation standards. Um, our policy hasn't been updated this, um, this significantly in the history of the police department. So this is a, a significant step in updating our policy and um, in modernizing our police department and make sure that we're adhered to those best practices. Uh, two other uh, things on that long list of priorities <laughs> is um, mental health reform. And um, what I mean by mental health reform is um, when we started having conversations about a year and a half ago on criminal justice reform, um, looking for opportunities to reframe the way we provide services and mental health, uh, based on my uh, conversation with officers um, from a year and a half ago, um, they they quickly identified this this has been a, an issue decades in the making, but during the pandemic things really hit a tipping point with the amount of time and um, that law enforcement was spending on mental health calls for service. So with that, I felt compelled to leverage my position as then deputy chief of police to organize community partners to to, to come up with alternatives than just um, sending men and women badge and guns to mental health calls for service. Um, and the last thing that's towards the top of my list is staff compensation. 
making sure uh, when we talk about um, hiring and retention of officers and diverse officers, as well as civilian staff that are the backbone of our police department, they're behind the scenes, making the police department function 24-7, is making sure that our staff is being appropriately compensated. And we're fortunate enough to be working with the county executive's office, um, our new human resources director, as well as um, the PPA and having these dialogues, to have these conversations, so that way we can be not only competitive, but an attractive um, police department where people want to come and work. That's an ambitious first. It, it, it is. It, it is ambitious. But <laughs> again, um, we, we have a very talented team of commanders here within the police department. And this is these are things that we've been working on, anticipating this day would come, regardless of who was going to be the next chief of police. Um, we had a mission that we were going to continue to push this organization forward and continue to drive forward uh, through these challenging times. Did you know that the host of this podcast also drives a big van around the county? The Let's Talk Albemarle van creates pop-up workshops and outreach events to aim to connect our community to projects, resources, and each other. Visit albemarle.org to see where the van will pop up next. And now back to the show. So March 1st was the first day for you in your new position, but um, it was also the first day for uh, eight other officers um, and a lot of new roles among your command staff. Um, what do you want the community to know about the AC, ACPD leadership team today? The uh, ACPD leadership today uh, team today, um, like me, they are a very talented group and a very diverse group of men and women um, that rose to the ranks of the police department. Some have come from other police departments that brought their experience with them as a patrol officer, and they have all worked their way up through the ranks. And so um, when I met with the county executive office shortly after becoming promoted, I did an internal assessment on uh, the deputy chief of police position and the assistant chief of police position. And we, at the time, we had very, four very talented and capable captains who were willing to be promoted into those positions. So that gave me the opportunity based on their skill sets and their training and what they bring to the table that I could keep um, the promotions in-house, so to speak. And I didn't have to look outwards to other jurisdictions and and pull somebody um, from another agency to fill those positions that, that I was confident, not just I was confident, but other department heads and other community members, as well as county executive's office and the board supervisors to agree, they were, they were comfortable with having uh, internal candidates promoted. And um, going back to your, your, your second question, um, I think that sends a message to our officers that, that they too can be the chief of police. They too can have that roadmap to, to the top of the organization and continue that momentum forward. That's excellent. Um, so, and some of the new promotions come with a new organizational structure. Um, tell us a little bit about why um, taking a look at the structure of the police department was so important to you coming into your new role. Yes, uh, coming into my new role, uh, based on conversations I had with uh, the leaders within the department is utilizing this as an opportunity to restructure our, the, the internal rank, make some minor tweaks um, in order to improve processes and communication. Because that was one of the number one concerns amongst officers, amongst staff, is um, that we were due for a um, evolution when it came to how we communicated. And there were some, there were some problems because we were growing the department at the base but um, we weren't growing it in the, in the mid-management level as well as the uh, upper management level uh, that's consistent. So to, to streamline the communication flow, the commanders we all met, we discussed about doing a realignment. So uh, the, the most significant realignment that, that occurred within the police department is we actually merged our internal affairs, professional standards, um, our Office of Professional Standards, and our training and professional development unit. We merged those into one unit that has oversight by a captain and two lieutenants underneath. So one lieutenant oversees the accountability and internal affairs. So that way, if a citizen has a complaint or wants to send an accommodation, those go into our internal affairs office. And then our training office continues to ensure their officers um, maintain their state certifications um, as mandated by law and through DTJS. And they also work on uh, recruitment and retention. And by having those two under the same umbrella, so to speak, is it opens dialogue so that way if um, there are concerns or complaints or issues that our officers are having in the internal affairs they can communicate that directly to training uh, and professional development so that way they can gear officer training 
to some of those deficiencies or anything that the any shortcomings that we're having. So that way we can intercept it quicker and do our remedial training or get the latest up-to-date training at a faster pace. So that way it removes that communication breakdown. Thank you. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the organization. We've talked a lot about you. Let's talk about the community. What are your priorities for the Albemarle County Police Department and the community? Um, much like my much like my previous answer, when we talk about priorities, there's actually several priorities. Um, um, roadway safety and traffic is up there towards the top uh, of the list, if not at the top of the list. Uh, for the past, uh, some people watching may not know this, but uh, in conversation I've had uh, over this past year and a half with our special operations, uh, newly promoted lieutenant um, or, or captain now is uh, Randy Jamerson and uh, having conversation with him about the concerns about roadways. And we work closely with the county executive's office as well as our board members and trying to identify um, behavior. So what we did was our crime analysts um, did some research and we wanted to know if it was a roadway problem or a behavioral problem. So in Albemarle County, it's one of the most dangerous roads per capita in the Commonwealth of Virginia and one of the deadliest places per capita in the Commonwealth of Virginia to drive a motor vehicle. And what we're seeing, what our data is showing us is it's actually driving behaviors that's driving these causes, not the roadways themselves. So it, with um, some of the, the top three behaviors being speeding, distracted driving, and uh, not wearing a seatbelt. Those are the, the, the three primary offenders in Albemarle County. So as a chief of police, we're going to emphasize roadway safety and traffic safety and try to find innovative and creative ways um, to make our roadway safer. Uh, acknowledging that this isn't a, um, it's not quota driven and it's not a revenue generator. Um, sometimes, like I met with the officers in the town hall, sometimes if our officers are just stationary in a median, um, that slows traffic down. Or if somebody is driving, you don't necessarily always have to issue a traffic citation. If our goal is to change the behavior um, it, it, and the officer has done that without having to issue a ticket, you know, mission accomplished. But um, the officer does have that discretion to issue a citation when appropriate. Um, so that's traffic safety. Um, using evidence-based and geo-based uh, policing to address crime in our community is other important, um, not necessarily going over uh, like broken window theory or, or, or just a pure reactive. I want our officers to be proactive when it comes to patrolling. And what I mean by proactive patrol, not over patrol, but actually engaging community under our geo-based policing model where officers are encouraged to get out of their vehicles, get to know business owners, get to know um, the citizens who live in their community. So that way they can build that trust. Um, so that way, when the first time they see a law enforcement officer isn't necessary during a moment of crisis and they have that trust with the people that they're serving. Um, recruitment and retention efforts, I talked about that. Um, as our population continues to grow and um, Almar County becomes more urban in certain areas, um, it, it, I've seen it over the past 20 years uh, my time when I was a young officer out on the west side of the county seeing Crozet, it was nothing but cornfield or nothing but fields and nothing out there. Now it's um, grown into its own entity out on the west side of the county and it's a huge population area. But seeing that in the Hollymead area, the Pantops area, just seeing this growth right across the street from the police department over Fifth Street Station is making sure that we have the officers, enough officers out in the street to safely do their job. And not only that, but if a citizen picks up the phone to call 911, we want to make sure their officer can get there in a timely manner. Um, also acknowledging that we do have work to do in our rural areas of the county just because of how large Albemarle County is. Um, at this point in time, we only have a finite amount of resources to cover the 720 plus square miles in Albemarle County. Uh, but again, those are conversations that, that we've had with our county executive's office who's been supportive of our plan moving forward um, to, to make sure that we have adequate resources to provide the services our citizens need. Um, community engagement, we already talked about, make sure that we stay engaged with our community and then um, continue our partnerships with our state, local, and federal law enforcement partners. So that, that's an imperative um, um, moving forward that we're all working patch to patch, um, all, especially in this day and age when resources are limited, um, that we're able to lean on each other through these times. So what trends are you seeing that keep you up at night? So some of the, some of the things that, that actually keep me up at night um, regarding um, law enforcement is, um, it, it may sound unusual, but uh, training uh, for our officers. And um, that's something that the commanders and leaders who work with me know that that's, um, that's always in the back of my mind is making sure 
that our officers have the training and equipment they need to go out there and safely and effectively do their job. Um, I look at not just from how they're communicating with people on traffic stops and the, the, the soft skills, those people skills, so to speak, and, and making sure that they understand how to de-escalate situations. Uh, but I also think about the, the critical incidents uh, or the, the, those hard edge tactical skill sets that they need when it comes to uh, you know, tragedies like active shooter events. And um, I want to be able to at, at night know that, that the officers have what they need to respond to a number of situations because God forbid something happens to, to one of the officers because that's one of the first things we're going to do is assess did that individual have the training and equipment they need to safely um, do this? And if the answer is no, then we're going to have to do an assessment and a hard look at ourselves. So I want to prevent that from happening. Um, um, prevent that from ever happening. So um, make sure their officers are well trained. When you um, when you guys do trainings, um, you know, particularly active shooter type trainings, but uh, you know, crisis intervention training, that's not just sitting in a classroom. No, what, no, no. what does that look like? No, it's not just sitting in a classroom. Uh, it de- depends. The, it depends on the uh, the training. So, some training is classroom based. Um, during the pandemic, we've had to find innovative way innovative ways to train our officers to include uh, online training, but there's other training, like when we talk about civil disturbance training um, and we talk about active shooter training, that has to be hands-on training. Um, or we talk about the, the skill sets, like every year officers have to get qualified on their firearms. So um, that's conducted at the, at the range. And um, so there's a lot of hands-on practical application uh, training that our officers do. And uh, it, it's, it's, I prefer the, the practical application as opposed to the virtual or the classroom um, settings because uh, I, I find that people tend to learn by, do, not by doing like our defensive tactics training. You can't do defensive tactics training online or watching videos. You know, there's some training you actually have to go hands on. Law enforcement is an inherently dangerous occupation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there are people out there that, that um, have violent responses to contact with law enforcement. Now, I want to make sure our officers um, have the skills and the training they need to protect themselves and protect the citizens um, they serve to, to as safe as possible handle those type of situations. So uh, anytime our officers can have real-world training, um, um, we're, we're going to try to give it to them. Um, what else keeps you up at night? I know I took you off here. Yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> it's, it's a fair question. Um, again, mental health calls for service and real understanding um, law enforcement's role when it comes to mental health and also understanding much like uh, the other thing, like the opioid crisis, um, they're, they're, law enforcement only has, has has a limited role in those things. Yeah, they're, they're, there's only so many ways police officers can respond to those type of situations. And, and unfortunately, they, they involve handcuffs sometimes or taking somebody into custody against their will. And, but that's not treating the problem. You know, I, I had a conversation uh, with my new friend, Jay James, uh, this morning on his show and had the opportunity to go down and tour uh, Bridge Ministries. And I look at the work that he's doing um, down in Buckingham County as a shining example of somebody that's been in the criminal justice system, but is taking out of the criminal justice system instead of just sitting in jail for certain offenses, um, they're given an opportunity at, at, at true reform. So that way it cuts down on recidivism rates. Um, because it doesn't do any good if we're, we're if the cops keep coming out here, you know, locking people up, and then they get out of jail and they're just, you know, continue to offend in the community, and we're victimizing our our citizens. Mm-hmm. And um, so, at some point in time, you know, we have to break that wheel. We have to break that cycle. And mental health is very much like that. Whether it's mental health or opioid, is having these conversations like, what role does law enforcement play, and where does it come to stop, and at what, when does the next service? Uh, we're fortunate now in Murray County right now under with the new DSS director, we're, we're starting to explore that question a little bit deeper on health and human services for those nonviolent offenders or those mental health, which are, which are two separate uh, issues and trying to decriminalize and remove that stigma of that, crim- that criminalization stigma off of mental health. So those two um, are the last two things. So with mental health and um, um, I'm sorry, there's one more is, is cyber crimes as well. Um, over the past 20 years, seeing, seeing the role technology plays with, um, with all crimes and the need uh, working with a talented group of people, a talented group of detectives when I was a CID commander five years ago, um, collectively identifying the need to form a cybercrimes lab. 
And I would argue that Elmar County in Central Virginia has a premier cyber crimes lab, mm -hmm. that state-of-the-art cyber crimes lab, that has uh, three dedicated professionals and subject matter experts that we are very fortunate to have that actually help other jurisdictions out with their cyber crimes cases as well. But seeing the load um, of work that they have to manage, that just what technology um, touches um, to include um, you know, exploitation of children, that's, that's the number one. Very uncomfortable for people to talk about, but just understanding how truly vulnerable our children are in this community and how um, you know, with, with the internet, predators from across the globe and we've had the, the, those cases in Almar County where predators would come to Almar County thinking that um, they're, they're picking up children. And, uh, you know, and um, we want to have a strong cyber crimes unit to protect our children, protect this community. So just knowing the, the, how vulnerable we are with cyber crimes, cyber crimes attacks, and, um, also uh, is one of the things that keep me up and making sure that we're ahead of the game as much as possible when it comes to combating that. Um, so you talked a little bit about mental health and the different approach for mental health services. The recommended budget that the county executive recommended last week includes funding, um, actually using revenues from this, the newly enacted cigarette tax to help fund what we're calling a community response team. Um, talk a little bit more about um, the impact that the rise in mental health calls for service have had on, on your team and also what the approach for this community response team would be moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um... The, this conversation again goes back to a year and a half ago. Listen to the officers um, and their voice their concerns about what are we gonna do about the, the, the mental health calls for service. Um, there, there are fewer bed spaces um, in the Commonwealth of Virginia to take those in crisis. And we are spending an enormous amount of time uh, because of loopholes, the way the balls are written. Um, some of our officers are spending upwards of three days sitting with a patient at at a hospital waiting for a bed to open up. And as community members, we have to ask ourselves, is that the most effective use of a law enforcement resource? Well, the code says that we have to maintain custody and we're fortunate enough to have a partnership for our sheriff's department where they're able to, once they get a bed, that our sheriff's department will, will, will assist us, partner with us and actually transport um, those patients in crisis. But just the, the amount of resources um, that, that it takes to sit on somebody that has mental health. So with that, um, I was able to meet with uh, Sheriff Bryant, as well as our Commonwealth attorney, our county attorney, county executive's office, as well as our partners from Region 10 and other community members. And we came together uh, right around the same time Marcus Alert was starting to take shape mm -hmm. about how it is that we can really um, change the way that we look at mental health calls for service. And during that time, our DSS, Department of Social Services, was going through a transformation to a leadership change. So uh, we were fortunate to get uh, um, Kathy Demick to come over um, and join the Almar County uh, with her background in health and human services, and then partner with the fire department, um, Chief Eggleston, his staff, because they also respond to mental health calls for service. So we saw this um, overlap in services. It's like we have... Um, we have some resources here in place um, and, and we're all seeing similar problems and, and amongst the group of us, what can we do to really change and re-examine the way we're providing service with the goal of removing law enforcement or law enforcement taking a back seat when it comes to mental health calls for service and also acknowledging um, from um, some of our detectives, our CIT experts, uh, uh, crisis inter intervention training experts, that there are programs around the country. You know, all of them are unique in their own ways. And some are here within the Commonwealth of Virginia to look at best practices and kind of pick and choose what, what best applies to Albemarle County. So over the past year and a half, the police department has been able to take a backseat to DSS now and partner with DSS, with DSS taking the lead on mental health calls for service. And we're looking at hopefully rolling that out this summer um, and how the law enforcement is going to support staffing to that is that the SROs, the school resource officers, positions that used to be in the school before um, the, the school shifted to a, a different coaching uh, security coach approach was those positions have been left unfilled, but are assigned to that mental health services unit. So once this mental health services unit goes live or crisis response team goes live, the police department will commit resources to that. So with the goal being to partner with fire department, DSS, when there's a crisis call for service, 
where there's not some sort of um, security threat. Um, instead of dispatching a regular officer that's in a sector that might be tied up on a different calls for service, we can dispatch these officers out that are CIT trained, that, um, that, that know the person or can be in a position to build a relationship with said person and, and handle it um, at, at that level. And there's also some other initiatives that we're currently working with Region 10 as well um, to help um, with this initiative um, to include finding an alternate location with people that don't need immediate medical attention that we can take them to an alternate site as opposed to the emergency room. Uh, we can take them to an alternate site for Region 10 to conduct an assessment on individuals in crisis uh, to free up an emergency room bed space. So I'm excited about the work. And again, it truly was a team approach to this. Um, that it's just not a police department problem. And again, this is where I think Almore County shines is we have um, a, a very diverse group of leaders who can identify a problem that can collaborate and come together and not worry about ego or who's taking the credit, but recognizes the problem, say we need to work together to fix this problem. Awesome. I'm hearing so much about a partnership, about uh, a team. Um, and I, I feel like uh, the future of the department is just is just in, is great hands, and I know they're not just your hands. It's it's a, it's a lot of folks standing yes. beside you, shoulder to shoulder. Did you know that Albemarle County is in the process of updating the comprehensive plan? Mom, what's the comprehensive plan? Well, first, the cool way to say it is comp plan. And it's a really big document that our local government uses to figure out where growth, development, and investment should be directed in the county. The plan helps us to figure out where new roads, trails, parks, and housing should go. It also helps us protect natural resources and support our local economy. Wow, that sounds like a lot of work. Don't you have enough to do? We do have a lot to do, but the comp plan is super important and the update is required by the state. But more than that, a lot has changed since the last update in 2015. The county's grown and several new plans and policies have been adopted, like the Climate Action Plan and the Affordable Housing Policy. We also want to make sure the comp plan is focused on equity and inclusion so that all Albemarle residents have the opportunity to live their best life. Learn how you can participate in the comp plan update or just follow along with us at engage.albemarle.org. Let's get into some of the questions that we've gotten. Um, and the first, you know, it will reward the early, the eager beaver. <laughs> the first question we received from the audience um, this evening was Colonel Reeves, could you tell us if Detective Wells is your favorite detective of all time? And that was submitted by Detective Wells. <laughs> yes, uh, Detective Wells is my favorite detective of all time, but don't tell him that. <laughs> okay, um, next question on a more serious note. This question came in from Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America volunteer leaders. What are the most prevalent kinds of gun violence and crime in our community? And what are your plans to tackle them? Um, right now, uh, as far as violent crimes involving uh, firearms are, are robberies. We're, we're seeing as robberies and we're also seeing um, shots fired calls that, that occur, especially in the, the northern part of Almaro County. And one of the things that we've done is uh, partnered, we, we do have one detective that's assigned to the FBI Safe Street Task Force. And um, that detective is uh, working very closely with our officers and investigators in, in, um, in, in uh, consolidating those cases and looking for patterns and working with our neighboring jurisdictions as well to see if it's the same offender, trying to get the guns off the streets as well as um, um, arrest and prosecute anybody that, that, that's committing violent crimes. We received a comment from a community member via Facebook Live and they shared that mental health reform is really important as a priority. So they just wanted to, just wanted to share aloud. Thank you for yeah. sharing that feedback to us. That's really important to us. Um, but getting to another question, um, someone noted that Albemarle County is a large county, 726 square miles and a combination of urban and rural lands in there. Um, the question is, should ACPD consider establishing substations in the county? Yes, uh, substations is something that um, is part of the long-term geographic-based policing approach. Um, however, that has, in order to achieve that, uh, we need to have the staffing in order to support having substations. And right now we do not have the staffing. So uh, our approach right now on the geo-based uh, policing model is to look at um, when we get new officers, 
uh, in order to provide 24 seven coverage, uh, redefining how officers respond in beats. And you can look at the, the beat map and the sector map in Albemarle County and, and putting officer in the different beats within the county, uh, as well as the sectors, especially those that are larger, have more terrain to cover. But right now, um, some of that's being driven on calls for service or when um, where there are hotspots uh, in the county is where we'll dedicate resources that, that are above the officers assigned in the different sectors. Thanks for that explanation. Um, so here's a question that's a, an opportunity to discuss partner law enforcement agencies. And the question is, what, what will you do to protect county residents from domestic terrorists? Can you share a bit about the ways ACPD works with other law enforcement agencies in our region to keep us all safe? Yes, absolutely. Uh, as I mentioned earlier on, we are partners with the FBI Safe Street Task Force. We also have partners with the ATF as well as other um, federal uh, partners. Uh, we do have communication uh, with between our crime analysts and Virginia State Police's Fusion Center. And uh, we, we constantly communicate and collaborate or if there's a crisis or some sort of um, domestic terrorist type event that, that we're alerted to, we will coordinate and communicate with the local um, state federal um, agencies um, um, and determine a best course of action uh, for. What does ACPD, ACPD do to support officer physical and mental wellness? Yeah, so what the Albemarle County Police Department does to support uh, physical and mental wellness, uh, wellness which are, are two priorities I explained to our officers during, during, earlier on this week, um, is uh, we do have a wellness program where officers uh, are, are permitted to work out while they're on duty for a limited set amount of time, um, you know, calls for service, obviously, uh, uh, pending. And then we also provide uh, no-cost physicals to our officers um, as well. As far as mental health, um, that is something that, that we're continuing looking for opportunities to expand upon. Right now, uh, we have um, um, two uh, psychologists that specialize in law enforcement that are um, accessible to officers at no cost, uh, out-of-pocket cost to them if they are in crisis. The county, Almar County has the employee assistance program that we can offer to, to, to officers uh, that, that are undergoing a variety of, uh, of personal issues to include mental, mental health. Uh, we also have a peer support team uh, for officers uh, to go to that will do a critical incident management uh, or critical incident debriefing or stress debriefings with our officers. Um, after uh, traumatic events or traumatic calls for service that we have available to them, or sometimes our officers uh, from our um, crisis team will reach out just to do a pulse check, make sure our officers are okay and how they're handling things. So this is one of those um, mental health and law enforcement is one of those subjects over the past five-ish years that has gained a lot of attention because the suicide rate in law enforcement um, continues to climb. And um, as a profession across the nation, that is something that the chiefs of police are examining on ways to make sure that our officers um, understand that it's okay not to be okay, mm -hmm. that if they need help, that, that we, we get them the help and remove that stigma of that, that you have to have this facade or you have to be this, you know, alpha type personality that nothing phases you, that, that uh, we'd rather we'd rather make sure their officers are mentally fit to do their job and have the tools that they're okay. And they come to work. Okay. Cause that's going to reflect in their performance as well. Absolutely. And it's so great to hear that there's so many resources yeah. in place and, you know, continuing to look at, you know, again, what can we do more um, to address, to address those needs. Um, uh, another question about how ACPD is supporting the team. Um, how is ACPD committing to diversity, equity, and inclusion in its work? So the Almar County Police Department, and speaking to the county as a whole, uh, the Almar County has invested in a diversity, equity, inclusion position in the county, and it's, that's where it starts there, and it trickles down through all the departments, which Almar County is one. And um, understanding and recognizing the the history of law enforcement in our community, and understanding the very um, controversial history of how. Um, people of color have been treated in our community you know for decades past and and how that 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 drives the the outlook and worldview on how people and how law enforcement to include the Elmore County Police Department is seen within our community and you know we talked earlier on about the importance of building those bridges with community members so uh, recognizing that, um, that that our community here in Elmore County is made up of a very diverse population 
of people and our officers and our police department, we should strive to not only be a reflection of our community, but surpass that. Uh, much like me coming from a biracial background and, um, and understanding different cultures, like I talked about earlier on, um, I've been, been in a position where I've traveled the world and interacting with people from different worldviews and different, different places and different countries and learning to listen to, to what their beliefs are. And um, it doesn't make my belief system more, more correct than their belief system. It's just that's their worldview. And so if you apply that, that lens to our community, there are people that with different, different backgrounds, different political beliefs, different religious beliefs. And as a public servant, as police officers, we have to recognize that, that we're oftentimes not just recognize that, but then we also have to hire and have people in our workforce that acknowledge that um, because when you get different opinions and different different worldviews and different outlooks, um, to me, that's the American story. You know, America's supposed to be this melting pot of, of cultures. And you apply that same concept to a police department. You have different outlooks and different ideas. And that's where you really start to drive forward. That's where you really start to progress forward when you're not operating in a silo or an echo chamber and um, you're keeping up with time. So yeah, having diversity, equity, inclusion, making sure everybody uh, has that that same voice that that people do we have the public safety pay scale to ensure that that no longer you know women are making less than the male their male officer counterpart or minorities are making less so it's all transparent you know coming in you know coming from the outside in uh, with our public safety pay scale what you're going to be making um, the other thing that the Almar one of the other niches that, that that we started here in the Almar County Police Department um, is uh, Lieutenant Elizabeth Gomez is uh, now going to be spearheading a diversity, equity, inclusion, a peer support team within the police department. Um, so that way, uh, working with our diversity, county's diversity, equity, inclusion coordinator, as well as human resources um, to better understand the culture within our police department. Mm -hmm. Because uh, we talked earlier about recruitment and retention, mm -hmm. quality people. Well, if the Albemarle County Police Department doesn't have a reputation or has a bad reputation or bad stigma, for, for um, diverse people or people of color or women, they're not gonna wanna work here because of reputation. So um, we have to really you know, establish a baseline of what our culture is, but also provide an outlet or a space for um, people of color and women officers within our police department to have confidential conversation, have this peer support and have this outlet um, where, where if there are things within our police department need to change that we can make that change um, and, and um, I've, 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 on day one, as chief of police, explained to our officers that um, any type of racist, sexist, or homophobic conduct will not be tolerated as a chief of police. Uh, there's no place for it here um, uh, within our police department, and that's something I stand by. Having those expectations articulated is so important. It sounds like you're, you know, really establishing yeah. a, a really good baseline yeah. um, and making some good investments to try to advance yeah. that work. Um, I, I know, speaking from a different part of the county, right? Um, you know, it's, it, that work is so important. Um, and, and, you know, Albemarle County is, 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 you know, we've taken some big steps, I think, over the past couple of years, um, but certainly we have a long way to go. But it, it's, it's so great to hear these stories from across the organization of how, um, how we're trying to live that value um, and, and what that looks like in different departments. So are you guys hiring <laughs> with all of these great initiatives on retention and recruitment, the uh, public safety pay scale and the transparency that that provides? Um, are you hiring and what's the process to become a police officer look like? Yes, the Almore County Police Department is, is currently hiring both certified and non-certified officers. And for more information, contact either visit the Almore County Police Department's website or you can contact the Almore County Police Department directly and they will connect you with our training and professional development unit. And um, once you uh, make contact, depending on your, whether you're certified or not, what that entails is um, a, a physical fitness test. And then we have a uh, psychological test as well as a polygraph test. There's also a written test and a um, uh, uh, interview panel that, that accompanies this process. Um, so we do have a, a uh, pretty stringent vetting system, but um, that is the expectation. Um, it, it's not about lowering standards because we're desperate to hire officers. We want officers that can come in and do the job that have the utmost integrity that are reflective of the citizens they serve. 
Um, and, and we don't want to hire people that are coming from uh, other law enforcement agencies they are fleeing because they have baggage with them or they're, they're running from an internal affairs investigation or um, somebody that has a significant criminal history and bringing them on board as a police officer. Um, you know, several years ago, uh, we were at the point that we were only hiring 3% of applicants who actually put in. You know, times have changed and numbers have changed, but we still maintain that high standard um, because, you know, our community, quite frankly, deserves that. They deserve uh, the high standard of police officers that work here in our organization. But yeah, for those of you who are interested in applying, please feel free to apply. Great. All right. Um, another question from the audience, and you spoke earlier about one of your one of the things that keeps you up at night is, um, tr you know, traffic, traffic issues in the community. Um, what are your thoughts on red light or other speeding cameras um, in the community and how that could, could be a tool um, in, in potentially moving the needle on some of those crash statistics that we're aware of? Yes, um, great question. That is something that um, currently our traffic, our special operations and our traffic unit is exploring specifically when it comes to uh, the, the use of speed cameras. We're gonna have additional community conversations um, regarding speed cameras because on the county ordinance, we can deploy those in school zones. And um, based on the data that we're seeing, um, there, there are two specific areas within Albemarle County um, off of Rockfish Gap Turnpike as well as Hydraulic Road um, where we're seeing a high volume of crashes and speeding, speed related offenses. And what we want to do is uh, explore the opportunity to potentially use speed cameras in those school zones to help make sure that our kids are getting getting to school safely and help drive down um, crashes in those areas. Um, and then we're also looking at other uses, uh, application of uh, technology, but it's a balancing act too, because we want to, we want to look at technologies that don't overreach, that don't, um, that aren't abuse of people's you know, privacy and finding out where that balance is between um, changing behaviors and keeping our roadway safe while respecting privacy and, and find that balance and do it in a methodical way and do it in a transparent way where we're engaging uh, the citizens in these conversations before we make these decisions. Thank you. So another question from Facebook Live. How is the department handling gang uh, crimes and violence in our community? And, and is that an issue in Albemarle County? Uh, gangs have been historically been an issue in, in Albemarle County in the greater Charlottesville area. And um, again, that goes back to um, the FBI Safe Street Task Force, and that, that falls within their purview um, um, to tackle um, the, the, the gang crimes. Because with, with gangs come a, a litany of quality of life issues, drug trafficking, human trafficking. Um, we talk about prostitution um, and uh, you talk about gun violence. It, that's, that's what occurs in, in our communities left unchecked. But uh, again, it's about a balance in actually, you know, having that that precision focus on specific gangs and not a umbrella approach to, to, to people that that might dress like a gang member, but aren't gang members and finding find a way that we're not profiling people, but actually going after um, the, these hardcore gangs. And I, I imagine geo-based policing has a role in, um, in the effectiveness in, in being able to move the needle on gang violence in the community. It does, it does. By staying, staying engaged with uh, community members, because quite frankly, um, our citizens, regardless of where you live, they, they don't want gangs in the, their community, period. Um, regardless, regardless of where you live, um, whether you live in the, the suburbs or you live in, in an apartment complex, people don't want crime in their community. They want to be able to live in an area where it's safe that they can live, they can raise their kids and have family without being terrorized or without having, you know, their, their car stolen, which is another, you know, significant issue within Almar County is, you know, stolen automobile thefts. And, but again, that's just, that's just part of the issue. Um, police department, you know, the law enforcement only has one role in this, but that's larger, you know, socioeconomic issues that, that, that drive some of those behaviors. And um, in some of these some of these issues, we can't arrest our way out of. Mm -hmm. However, when you're dealing with the, the hardcore gangs that come in and that are dealing with the trafficking, human drug trafficking, um, those are the ones that we got to work with our state and federal partners uh, to ensure that they get locked up and, and put away and don't come back to our community. Thank you. Um, so a question that came in through the Q&A, uh, what demographics will be recorded with records of police interactions with civilians or, or are collected when you have interactions with civilians? Yes, uh, it's my understanding that uh, on the Albemarle County Police Department, uh, I know on our web, website um, that we do report out 
um, on the demographics whenever we make contacts with civilians during traffic stops. That's the state mandate, and we do uh, report those numbers uh, to the state uh, to the state police. So yes, we we do we do track our citizen contacts on traffic stops. And another question that uh, addresses race um, within the department. So you said that a diverse police department was important. How many minority police officers and employees does Albemarle County have in comparison to white employees? Um, and you know, and I think looking forward, what's your plan to um, to address what may be a disparity there? Um, I believe it's a 70-30 uh, ratio uh, with with women and minority officers to white male officers. And um, this goes back to the conversation we have about paying compensation in order to be competitive in our market, regardless of um, who it is we're trying to recruit. Uh, we were fortunate this past year, working with the county executive's office, that we were finally able to get our starting salary for law enforcement officers um, above that $37,000 range. And when I, when I go out to the community and tell people, especially over this past several years of what law enforcement, the evolutions, law enforcement, the hard times that law enforcement had over the past several years, that um, these officers only make, and some of them are, you know, starting off at thirty-seven thousand dollars a year. Um, we have to do better than that. Um, you know, you're only talking, especially in this job market right now, where where um, you know you can get paid even more money for doing something that's not as risky as law enforcement. And I ask people, would you want your loved ones or family members putting their lives online or enduring what you're seeing on TV for thirty-seven thousand dollars a year? So, understanding this, the PBA as well as the county executive's office. Um, and our board of supervisors are trying to take steps to remedy that along with our uh, human resources. So to me, that's where it starts. Yeah, you know, we could talk about recruiting and uh, recruiting at doing job fairs, which our training professional development unit does. They go to uh, a variety of places within the Commonwealth of Virginia, as well as here, targeting African-American schools or Hispanic population or, or military veterans. But if you don't have... Um, a decent starting salary, we're going to miss that opportunity across the board. People aren't going to want to come work here unless they have a deep tie to work here. So uh, recruitment efforts are there, um, but we got to get our pay. So we're uh, to a point we were competitive with other law enforcement agencies. And this is that's a phenomenon you're seeing all across the board. It's not exclusive to Almar County. Um, and just and just competing with the fact of changing the perception of law enforcement, because what we're seeing also is um, across the country, fewer and fewer people want to do this job. And it, it truly is a calling, but uh, unfortunately, because of the, the stigma of law enforcement, it, it's not as appealing as a career anymore. In a recent conference I went to uh, earlier on in uh, February, one of the representatives from DCGS got up and talked about how he had 22,000 certified law enforcement officers just a few short years ago. And as of this year, there was, I believe 18,000 certified uh, law enforcement officers. So that's, a you know, across the Commonwealth, that's 4,000 less people out there protecting and serving our community. Um, so we've really got to wrap our heads around that and then tackle, you know, in order to make it appealing and attractive to diverse applicants to come and work here. But again, going back to culture too, we got to make sure we have a culture in the police department that welcomes all people of all backgrounds that kind of that want to come and work here. So it goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I imagine that the peer support network that you spoke about, the Lieutenant Gomez's um, yeah. initiative, um, are those common in police departments? Is that something that sort of sets Albemarle County Police apart from some of the other peer jurisdictions? Um, I don't know. I can't speak to the other jurisdictions. Uh, it's the first that, that I've heard that's exclusive to minorities, not to say that they're not others out there. I'm unaware of others that, that, that are specifically focused on women and minority officers. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's reach. Let's reach back. Um, you know, what made you want to get into law enforcement, and what 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 brought you, you know, here now um, to chief? But what what made you really want to get into law enforcement as you started your career? That's a great question. Um, I, I've always just had this. You know, my father was a veteran from Vietnam, and then my younger brother. Um, also served and retired uh, from the military. He's actually overseas now, um, serving our country and uh, in a different capacity. And um, I think it's just within our family that, that we want to serve and just have, uh, I can't explain it, it's a calling. 
uh, wanting to, to help those in need. And um, I've always hated a bully and, um, and just gravitating towards that, that, you know, I, I'm a big movie buff and um, I like to read and I've always gravitated those characters, those, those guardian protector type characters. And just you know, throughout my life, I've, you know, through military service, I've always found law enforcement appealing um, that, 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 that eternal struggle between good and evil, right and wrong. Uh, and I just want to be a part of that. And um, so coming out of the military, getting into law enforcement, which is paramilitary in a lot of ways, and finding the closest thing to that kinship that I had back when I was a soldier in this environment, um, it, it was appealing. And then uh, I just found I was fortunate enough to apply the things I learned both um, from the military, my travels around the world, through my own personal life experiences, uh, both good and bad, to this profession, and found myself just steadily working my way up to this point in time as chief of police. And the best thing I can do in this role is um, be that 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 mentor and that coach to others. And I, I'm at the point in my career now that I've been doing this since 1996 and where I want to start giving back. And I want to start giving back to those officers that, that, that are the next generation because we all have a shelf life. And I want to be able to, to walk out that door, walk out the door at the end of my career knowing that I left Elmar County Police Department in a better place than, than I found it. And that wraps up our conversation with the new Chief of Police. First, thanks to Colonel Reeves for being our guest and to Emily Kilroy for doing such a great job as host. Also, thank you for listening. I would love to hear from you. Call or email me to share your constructive feedback, suggest a topic, or ask a question you have about Albemarle County local government. 434-296-5841, extension 3274, or sgruia at albemarle.org. That's S-G-R-U-I-A at albemarle.org. Albemarle, we need to have a talk. Let's talk Albemarle!